Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. Our first podcast was nearly two months ago, and since we started, we've had an impressive selection of intriguing guests and plenty of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Planhold, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or a Netflix series. Yet when you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another inspiring show today with today's featured guest, David Heath, co-founder and CEO of Bombas, a comfort apparel company that donates a pair of socks to the homeless community for each pair it sells. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-P-O-I-C-A-B-O. Or check out their website, poiibogaine.com. That's P-O-I-I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. Now let's introduce David. David Heath is the co-founder and CEO of Bombus, a comfort apparel company focused on making the best socks in history and donating a pair of socks to the homeless community for each pair they sell. Bombus is located in New York City. David and co-founder Randy Goldberg established Bombus in 2013. The idea for the company came to David a few years earlier when he saw a Facebook posting that said socks are the number one most requested article of clothing at homeless shelters. Soon after, David and Randy began extensive research and testing to come up with their idea for a comfortable pair of socks. Their modifications included honeycomb support, to hug the midfoot, and improve toe seam, and an overall way to have socks be more contour fitting. They also used high-quality natural fibers, cotton and merino wool, to make their socks. Initial capital for the startup came through a crowdfunding campaign. Later, an appearance on the reality TV show Shark Tank led to a deal with Damon John, one of the show's on-camera investors and the founder of FUBU, a trendy apparel company. Revenue growth has stayed on a sharp trajectory, and in April, Bombas announced their first new product category, T-shirts, continuing their commitment to offering customers comfortable, everyday apparel, while providing new, specially designed items for those in need. The company offers products for men, women, and kids. Since it began, Bombas has donated more than 20 million items to those experiencing homelessness throughout the United States. Let's bring him on now, David Heath. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Dustin. All right. Well, I know it's early in the day and you're probably still lying in bed. Just want to make sure, though, that you're wearing socks right now. We'll have to be certain that you're keeping the Life's Tough dress code. Okay, David? (laughs) You got it. All right, man. With that out of the way, all right, David, it's time to knock our socks off. Uh, You said that you read online that socks 
are the number one requested item at homeless shelters. It resonated with you. Why do you think it struck you with such power? Yeah, you know, I was just browsing Facebook. I come across this quote, um, and for whatever reason, it kind of just stopped me in my tracks. And I remember kind of thinking it was both interesting and sad at the same time. Um, Here I was, uh, you know, I never spent more than a couple seconds a day thinking about my socks, you know, typically open the drawer. You take them for granted, like like I do, huh? Yeah, exactly. I think like most people. Um, And the fact that, you know, something that I take for granted or never really think about could be perceived as a luxury item for somebody else kind of just, you know, really resonated with me. And, and, you know, I really wanted to kind of do something about it. Wow. Well, you've been involved with a lot of successful enterprises. So what made you, a man of the world, want to become a sock dealer? Are you licensed from heel to toe? (laughs) You bet. (laughs) Um, Good. I had to get that out of the way. I mean, when you're putting together content, we got to make sure we're right on. Yeah, the puns are great. Um, you know, it's it's not one of those things that I think anybody would ever, you know, grow up being like, you know what I want to do when I grow up is run a sock company. That's right. Be um, a sock I man. Went to school for, I went to school for entrepreneurship. My dad's an entrepreneur. Um, so, so I kind of always knew from a pretty young age that I wanted to start and run my own business. Um, and I think like most entrepreneurs, I kind of walked through the world with my eyes and ears open, uh, constantly looking for problems to solve. And when I came across this quote on Facebook, it's funny, I didn't immediately think, oh my God, there's a business here. Um, Hmm. I kind of just thought, man, that's sad. And, you know, how can I do something about it? It wasn't until I think, you know, a few months later where, you know, I was being interested in entrepreneurship. I kind of read, you know, stayed up up to date on all kind of startup news and, and trends that were going on. And, you know, this was 2011. Um, Tom's was in their fifth year of business and growing rapidly. Uh, Warby Parker had just launched a few months earlier um, and getting kind of a ton of, you know, fanfare and buzz. And I think most people won't won't remember, but when Warby first launched, their whole thing was actually one-for-one eyewear. Um, they still do that program, but I think they pivoted to be more of a kind of a fashion and value brand than, than a give back brand, even though they still do that aspect. Um, but it, it ignited this conversation around, you know, this idea of a give back business model. And all of a sudden you started to hear and see all of these type of businesses start up, whereas one for one water and one for one soccer balls and one for one blankets. And, um, you know, I, that was when I was like, oh, like maybe I can use my, you know, sense of business and, you know, adopt a similar model to help solve the sock problem. Uh, and so we kind of set out and never looked back. And here we are almost six years later, uh, donated almost 20 million pairs. I mean, 20 million uh, pairs. Like, so, so tell me a guy that needs to kind of visualize it. If I were to stack 20 million pairs of socks, is this, I mean, how big of a room? That's a lot of socks. Oh my God. Uh, well, I think it's something like, Yankee Stadium can hold, I think, something like thirty-five or forty thousand people. Uh-huh. So, do the back of the envelope math to figure out how many pairs of socks you would need to fill. Uh, you know, Yankee Stadium, you know, multiple pairs or any stadium right. that you're familiar. Twenty with. million is a remarkable. I mean, that that's not. Hey, we've given away five thousand. Twenty million. Right. Did you ever see it getting twenty million, or was that in your cookbook? Not, Did you say no? A, I'm getting it. No, no. I, I mean. You know, when when we first started, um, and honestly, when we launched our Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign, I had turned to Randy, uh, who's my co-founder, and I said, 
just kind of almost as a joke, I was like, you know what? If we ever donate a million pairs of socks, I'll get a tattoo of our logo to celebrate. And I had no tattoos at the time. Um, you know, kind of not thinking that it, you know, a million, when you haven't sold one, a million yeah. seems like crazy. Yeah. Like first you got to uh, get to two. So 20, right, exactly. 20 million. Like, like what yeah. happened? Did you so, go from uh, like a million to 2 million or was this just overnight? Uh, you know, the, the beginning part, I think is always a little bit slower, but you know, we, we ended up, we ended up selling our mil, selling and donating our millionth pair two and a half years after we started the business. Uh, but then one year after that, we donated our 5 millionth pair a year after that, our 10 millionth pair. And here we are That's one incredible. year later and we're going to donate in fall in this fall. We'll donate our 25 millionth pair, 25 millionth pair. And I also sit on a, in addition to sitting on the board of directors for uh March of dimes, I also sit on another board, uh, called the Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services. And one of the issues, one of the challenges immigrants have or refugees have coming to the United States is a sock problem. It's also a shoe problem that many of them, yep. when they get here, their shoelaces, and you're probably already aware of this, uh, but their shoelaces are taken from them. So when they're put into some of these camps, their shoelaces so that they're not a threat to others. And then the socks, yep. they have same thing. So you're right. This really is in many ways, it is a global problem and everybody deserves to have a, a nice, clean, comfy uh, pair of socks. I mean, it gets you, this is the journey you're on. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing that I think opened my eyes the most, you know, when I, when I, when I heard the quote, I was like, why socks? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the closer that we got and started talking with the homeless community and partners in the homeless community, uh, you realize that socks are a wear through items. So they're, they're not typically donated. If they are donated, they have to be new. So they can't for hygiene reasons, you can't donate old. So socks. I can't give you a slightly um, used socks out of my drawer. Right. And then if you're, you know, if you're living on the streets, you know, you're walking everywhere. That's your main mode of transportation. Uh, you're also afraid of taking your shoes off at night when you sleep because you're afraid somebody will steal them. So what happens is your feet end up festering. Um, and so you imagine, I think all of us have found ourselves in a situation where you can wear a pair of pants without underwear, but if you wear a pair of shoes without socks, you start to get blisters, your feet yeah. start to, you know, sweat and, and, you know, retains the moisture. And all of a sudden you go, okay, this is like actually a, a real, you know, a real issue. Yeah. So I, I hear something in your voice and it's something that believe it or not, a lot of people don't have it. It's called empathy. You had empathy. <laughs> And that's something that is rare to find, especially in a world of where it's cutthroat. It's grow your business at any cost. And so you had empathy. Tell me about your family. Was this learned, developed? Where did empathy come into your business model? Yeah, you know, I, I was raised by two amazing uh, parents. Um, you know, my dad's a first-generation immigrant. Um, I watched him build our business, uh, his, his business from the basement of our, our house uh, into, you know, something quite large. Um, and then, you know, my mom always, uh, you know, she served on the PTA. She always served as presidents of local charities. Um, they would always take us to, you know, soup kitchens in our kind of local community as we were growing up. So I think I always, um, and, and because I was also, you know, I had the benefit of growing up, you know, lower middle class to ultimately upper class as my dad's business grew, you know, from the time that I was five and kind of could remember, you know, sharing a bedroom with my brother to then living in a house with a pool, my parents always made sure that we were reminded of the fact of how lucky and gracious we need to be for all of the, you know, the luxuries that we've had in life. 
Um, you know, I, I got to go to an amazing college that my parents paid for. So I never knew what it was like to graduate with student loan debt. Um, and, and these, the fact that they always reminded me never to take it for granted, I think gave me a larger purpose to know that I had to give back at some point in my life. Well, that, that, um, that's a powerful mission. So, yeah. It just so, just so happened that giving back and my, you know, adaptitude for business kind of aligned and, and, you know, synced up really, really well. Yeah. So the old saying of it's better to give than to receive. I find that in my own life, the more I give, man, the the better, not just the better it feels, but the more I seem to be in many ways blessed that it is this never ending community that, that keeps growing around me and helping my own business to to succeed. Do, Do you feel, or do you agree with that? I mean, a hundred percent. I think the proof is, is, you know, in the pudding, when you look at, uh, when you look at kind of the success that we've had to date, I mean, you know, we're just under six years old. Um, you know, we've, we've been profitable every single year. Uh, we've had to raise very little capital. Our, our customer retention rates are over 85%. Um, and, and a large part of, you know, the sentiment that we continue to hear back is that people are very proud to support our brand because they know that it's having a, having an impact in the community. Wow. That's great. Uh, and so as you look back now that you've had the success and you guys know where you're going, Knowing what you know today, looking back, would you have done anything different with the business? Um, you know, <laughs> we're in such a good spot that I'm, I'm tempted to, you know, not rewrite history too much for, for fear of triggering the butterfly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that I think probably the only thing that I would have done differently um, is, is that throughout this entire journey, I think we were always, always overly conservative. Um, you know, we weren't one of those brands that went out and raised 50 to a hundred million dollars because we knew from day one that we were going to be a billion dollar brand. Um, we never really had aspirations, I think of, of trying to be a quote unquote unicorn. Um, and so I think in a weird way, our humility, uh, you know, worked somewhat to our disadvantage in the sense that you know, what we're finding ourselves in the situation right now is that we're in this kind of massive, massive growth year where we're going to double revenues again. Wow. Congratulations. Um, Double revenue. Thank you. But I think what we're feeling now, particularly on the team level, uh, is that, you know, when earlier we could say, oh, there's a little bit of pain here. We've identified the pain. Okay, let's put a job description together and hire somebody to plug that hole. I think the the momentum of the business is starting to get so far away from us that we've never really planned six to 12 months out from a hiring perspective. So uh, we're in this kind of massive hiring sprint right now. So I know the cheap plug that if you're looking for a job, you're in the New York City area or you want to move to the New York City area, uh, please check out our job pages. We've got, I think, about 40 to 50 open positions. Um, we're, you know, we're going to go from 60 people at the beginning of the year to 150 people by the end of the year. That, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of mouths to feed. Many people is really, really, so, really difficult. So tell me, um, tell me about we'll that process. Through. Yeah. Tell me, we've got a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs that tune in around the world. We're in 40 plus countries. How do you pick your next staff member? How do you pick the person that is going to be a reflection on you? Oh man, that is a very challenging question. Um, you know, 
company culture has been one of the kind of hallmarks, I think, of, of our business. It's one of the things I'm probably the most proud of. Um, you know, we're constantly named, uh, you know, top places to work. We were named number two uh, best place to work in New York City by Cranes. That's um, you know, Glassdoor has us rated really highly. Um, you know, in this almost six years we've been in business of the 88 employees that we have, only four people have ever left voluntarily uh, and three of which didn't leave for other jobs. They left for personal reasons. Um, you know, I, I think that you have to approach hiring uh, in a way that, you know, you have to be considerate not only of the skill set, but of the personality set, um, you know, and, and making sure that, you know, you're hiring as much for cultural fit as you are for skill fit. And cultural fit doesn't mean, wow, that person is exactly like me. Right? Yeah. I think that's a big differentiator um, you know, or our point of confusion, I think. for There's a lot only of one sock master, right? and it is David Heath. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, they don't need to be as funny as you or like the same movies as you or, you know, if you like to go out and, you know, have a couple beers, they, you know, they don't drink. It doesn't mean they're not going to fit in. I mean, we've got as many introverts here as we do extroverts. You just have to find out if, if they, if those people emulate your same core values. And this is the thing I think that's important around hiring. And I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I talk to that, that are in business for three, four, five, six years that don't have core values written down somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just something that we did in month four. Uh, and it seemed like this silly kind of business schooly type of practice where like, oh, we're going to take time and write down our core values and our core competencies. Um, but when you do that, you kind of write on paper what you stand for and what you'll never compromise for. And I think, you know, when you talk about empathy, that's that's a quality that we look for in every single candidate, people who are team players, people who want to be involved in giving back into a purpose that's bigger than simply just collecting a paycheck at the end of the day or making a ton of money. Um you know, so those are, you know, really when you start to think about hiring, you hire against the things that matter most to you as an organization uh, and not kind of the, per, qual, you know, the, what I would say more of the smaller personality traits that you might be like, well, that person doesn't like this. So maybe they're not going to fit in here as much. But it's like, no, it's kind of getting to the root of what values uh, each person uh, represents. Wow. Well, well said. We had uh, a CEO a couple weeks back, the head of the March of Dimes. And one of the areas that she talked about was that in the nonprofit uh, sector that there's a struggle with diversity. And, and I find that the, the tech community or, or the innovators seem to be able to find this balance, you know, as you're dealing with people from all around the world and people that are looking to work in New York City and they're competing for positions. What sort of advice can you give to those CEOs who maybe have decisions to make of who do I hire? How do you how do you really when you've got two people or three people, how do you pick that final person? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, you know, diversity and inclusion, um, you know, is, is I think always been part of what we've, you know, strive for. I mean, over 50% of our, our staff is female. Um, I think we could do a better job around uh, ethnic diversity. Um, you know, it's, you, you do have to kind of work at it. Um, you know, you do have to kind of go out and search candidates who uh, represent, you know, different minority classes because, you know, especially in the tech side of things, um, it's, it's very underrepresented in, in kind of females. Um, it's, it's overrepresented in certain minorities. So you have to really be conscious about, um, you know, how you're hiring these people. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, when you're down to the couple of different candidates, I would actually, you know, I, I would 
I would advise or, or suggest that entrepreneurs look for the the candidates that are value add and not just, you know, it, again, it goes back to kind of what I was saying before is, is try to find the people that are different, right? The, you know, if, if you're a full team of outgoing, you know, extroverts, like try to, you know, and you're down to three candidates and one tends to be a little bit more quiet, put that person on your team. I think it's, it's trying to balance these things That's out wise counsel. And, and look for the people who actually, you know, bring something different to the team and different doesn't necessarily mean obviously like better, yeah. um, you know, on, on the surface. But what you'll find is that the bigger diversity you have among all aspects, whether it's minority, gender, you know, sexual orientation, uh, but it also goes to personality traits and, and interests and, in, you know, income disparity and where these people have come from. Um, having as well-rounded of an organization as possible, I think, gives you uh, as much of a perspective, a broad perspective as possible. Wow. Well, uh, many years ago, Todd Marks uh, from a company by the name of MindGrub, they're based in Baltimore. I asked him the, the same question. His, his answer was very much the same. And he said, one of the things that I've done and I do, I don't know if he still does this today because this was asked a number of years back. He said that I will challenge somebody to a game of, at this point, it was back then, it was we. And I will see if they can beat me or if they get better at the end of the game. And I see how they improve. And so there's this challenge of, I want to see how you can react on a game you've never played, on a maybe a console that you've never heard about before. And so for most leaders like you, and leaders don't create more followers, they create more leaders, they find solutions and they can adapt. Has there been anybody in your organization or even your past enterprises that when you knew you got to a place where the person was just so toxic that you had to remove or you had to ask leave? And, and how does that impact a CEO who goes, I just want to help everybody. I want everybody to do well. I, I want us all to be there together. Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, one of the most challenging uh, I think moments of, of any executive is, is making the decision, um, you know, to let go. Cause in a weird way you feel like you failed that person as much as, um, they failed you. And thankfully we've only had to let three people go. Um, you know, two of which honestly, I think outgrew, uh, the, the role, uh, and, and, you know, there wasn't enough of upward mobility in the company at the time. So um, their frustration, rather than them identifying the fact that they should leave, uh, they just got more frustrated and we identified it, hey, you need to go. But we've only really had one one toxic person. Um, and honestly, it was so obvious, uh, you know, it was documented over Slack of basically he was cursing out one of his subordinates and we were just like, we do not oh, tolerate boy. that. Power I mean, tripping, you, huh? got to get out of here. Oh, um, that, that's not you good. Know, but then I, you know, I stayed in touch with this person afterwards and, and tried to coach them on, you know, how they should do things differently. Um, you know, so it wasn't totally like get out, you're on your own. Uh, but it's, it's difficult. You know, you don't want to ever feel like you've let somebody down or, or, you know, everybody also comes from different backgrounds and you don't know what, you know, predispositions they have or what their family life or upbringing or, you know, situations that they've been in that have led them to that situation to act kind of hostile towards another person. Because usually there's some underlying, you know, experience uh, that has led them to be that way. Um, it may not necessarily be their fault. And, and for you, you only have so much time in a day and everybody probably wants a piece of Dave throughout the day. How do you decide who gets your time and how much time? 
You know, this is funny. I was literally having a conversation with my executive coach about this yesterday, um, you know, where with with the increase in kind of success and awareness of the business, I get more and more uh, requests for outreach to, you know, hey, my friend is starting up a company or, you know, someone from my alumni network at Babson, you know, reaches out and they're, you know, it's junior or senior and they're, hey, I want to start a company you know, and you start to say, oh, man, like, you know, I, I've got so much to do. How do I make time? How do for I this? make time but, for everybody? Because, yeah. And, yeah. and that um, must be for you. One of the most frustrating things is that you want to help everybody and you can't replicate or duplicate yourself. Yeah. But you know what? I think it, it's a great challenge as a CEO, especially as you scale um, to realize that, you know, it's part of your duty, um, you know, as a successful entrepreneur to pay it forward and mentor those around me. I mean, I will never forget the moment that I emailed, um, you know, through a personal connection, I got in touch with Blake Markowski from Tom's. Uh, I was the founder of Tom's. And, you know, I think we were doing like $5 million of revenue at the time. And, you know, he agreed. I said, I'll be, I'm going to be out in LA. Can I, you know, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to pick your brain. You know, and in hindsight, I was going, wow, I was one of those people that was kind of cold outreaching. Yeah. Uh, you you live in my world, brain. huh? And I remember sitting there being like starstruck and being like, I can't believe this guy who's running a $400 million business is taking time out of his day, you know, just to humor me um, and, and hear, you know, listen to me and let me ask some How questions. Cool. And, and then I was like, you know what, I, I, it should be so honored that I can be able to kind of do those same things going forward. And what I've realized is it actually forces me as an entrepreneur to make sure that I'm surrounded by the right people so that I don't actually need to be in every meeting. And that I, I, every day that this business, you know, gets older, I, I needed less and less because we hire incredible experts to come in and run the organization, do things that I frankly know nothing about. Um, so what my duty as a CEO needs to become a leader and an, and an inspirer and a mentor, uh, both to people inside the organization, but outside as well. And I think that's what, you know, when I, when I can mentor and inspire people outside of the organization, I think the people inside my organization, you know, see what it's like to be a leader and yeah. then they want, they feel inspired to then go and do that themselves. Wow. Well, I can hear just the, the wisdom and the experience and all you've learned. Uh, part of the thing that pays my bills, I have an executive coaching practice and I coach uh, corporations. Uh, last week I was talking to one of the team and, and somebody was talking about referrals. And, and I likened it to this, that in your own life, and you know this as a CEO, that your team and the people around you and your customers, they get the best of you and they get the worst of you. So if they get the best and the worst of you, what are they getting that day? And it, the challenge is, and you know the old saying, treat every, every day at work like, like what? Like, like it's your first and every day with family, like it's your last. How do you yeah. do that when there are some days where you're not the best of you, you're the worst of you? And you're in a spot now where you've got investors looking at you. You have, you have people around the world looking up to you and you have these days of hardship, these days that are hard. What do you do and where do you, where do you put it? Are you a runner? Are you a climber? Are you a hiker? Like wh what is your, what is your out? How do you find it? Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that I, I, I developed or realized how much I needed probably later on, you know, I wish I'd started earlier was, uh, was a twice daily meditation practice. Um, I've always exercised um, and, you know, a reminder that no matter how busy 
things get or, or how, you know, how much demand is on for your time. I think whether it's exercise or meditation or going for a hike or whatever it is, the importance of finding some time every single day that's just you and, and time where you're not sitting there thinking about the business, right? Your, your, your mind is preoccupied with something else, whether it's trying to clear it through breath work or some sort of a mantra or literally just crazy physical exhaustion that you, you don't have any ability to think about anything else yeah. other than the fact that you're sweating like crazy and you're in an incredible amount of pain because you're you know lifting or running or doing whatever the things are. I can't tell, I, I can't stress enough to entrepreneurs how important creating and carving out that personal time is because it's those moments that I think allow you to blow off steam get some perspective, come back, be grounded so that you're not blowing up on the people around you, whether it's, you know, your friends, family, relationships, or the people in the office. I'm so grateful for the fact that I have never, you know, blown up or screamed at another employee where I've worked in those. You've never totally just freaked out and had like a David moment. Like, Oh, that, that was a bad day. Nope. No. And, and, I, and I honestly, I owe that to the fact that you know, I have those other outlets by which to do it. Right. I exercise, I, I meditate. Um, you know, you're, you're not wound up tight by the time you're with your team. No, never. And I'm also, you know, it, I, I'm not a, you know, get in at seven and work till midnight type of person either. You know, I think, you know, our whole founding team, we, we very much established early on that, you know, if you can't have fun doing it, it's not worth doing at all. So, you know, I've, think I've taken four weeks of vacation so far this year alone. Um, and they always say that, you know, leadership or, or you know, uh, behaviors start from the top down. Um, and I believe that, you know, if, if, if I've worked at companies where our CEOs don't take any vacation and then you feel as an employee guilty for taking vacation. Yeah, that's a terrible, I've, I've had that myself. Isn't that where, terrible? Yeah, it's awful. You know, and you, you feel like bad for taking a sick day or, you feel bad for taking a personal day if, you know, you broke up with a partner or, you know, you just had a you know bad day, you know, your apartment flooded or whatever. And you're like, man, I just want to kind of I don't want to be around anybody right now. I just kind of want to be by myself. And those days are important to have. And so it's why we've always established really early on that we have unlimited vacation. We have unlimited sick days. We have unlimited work from home. We have unlimited personal days. We want people. And you know what the flip side of it is? Is that people end up taking less. They, they don't even use <laughs> it at all. You, Isn't that something? You give them the, the space. I would have thought there were just a world full of socialists. You're telling me not everybody's just stealing it? You're kidding me. <laughs> That's a lot of fake news out there. Right. So you, you always find, you, you seem to find time. When I reached out to you to come on the show, you didn't hesitate. So one of the things that we all are, are challenged by is, is finding time. And my uncle years ago, when I tried to make an excuse to him about not finding time, he said, you always find at least one minute in your day to do the things you really, you really want to do. So I throw at you this question, how many emails a day does David Heath get? Or how many emails throughout the year do you get? Because people complain about they don't have time when they've got 30 emails. Yeah, I mean, I think I probably get two to three hundred emails a day. Um, wow! But I've set up I've set up systems and, and processes that I think help. You know, I've got an incredible executive assistant. She goes in, she filters and and rewrite re uh, 
reroutes, you know, if there's a vendor reaching out, she'll go in and reroute them to, you know, the, the specific department. Um, you know, if it's somebody asking for my time, uh, she's really good about identifying, you know, times that we've agreed to block off on my calendar that are kind of open for external meetings or interviews or, you know, whatever it be. Um, so, so I've got a kind of a system in place and then, you know, I, I, I make sure I carve out time on my calendar to go through emails and I carve out time to meditate. I carve out time for lunch. And this is the big one that I realized early on that if I don't actually carve out an hour for every day for lunch, I don't end up eating or I end up eating like through meetings and I'm sitting across from, you know, a, a, a you know, potential partner or interviewer. And I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm eating <laughs> because yeah. I don't have any time. It's like you said, you make time for the things that are important for you. And, you know, time ultimately ends up coming down to prioritization. Right? I kind of always beat myself up about the fact that I wanted to learn how to play the guitar for the last like seven years. But the fact of the matter is, is that one year I decided to run a marathon. And so like that was the priority that year. So of course I can't try to How'd you run do? a marathon. Uh, I, I finished. You finished it? <laughs> well done. So we had the, the founder yeah. of Ultra Footwear, uh, Golden Harper. You should look them up. Oh, Ultra, man. A-L-T-R-A. And he was yeah, talking. Yeah, he was talking about all the, oh boy, all, all the marathons he's done, and I'm, I'm cursing under my breath at, at mile marker two in my neighborhood. So how did yeah. you do that? How do you prepare for? How do you prepare for it? I mean, it is it is a pure mental game. I, it, like, go go out and watch a marathon. I mean, particularly the New York City Marathon. It happens to be in my backyard, but it's also the most run marathon in the world, um, and. I think what ultimately inspired me is we work with an organization called Back on My Feet, um, and they're a local organization. They're in a bunch of cities. Um, what they do is they help transition people out of homelessness through the discipline of running. And so they work with partner shelters in every city, um, and they wake up at 530 in the morning three times a week, and they run. Uh, you know, and they've got volunteers who run with the, you know, with the homeless community. And we ended up throwing a brunch for them the, the uh, Saturday before the marathon. And I'm sitting there talking to 40 uh, men and women who are living in shelters, who, you know, used to be either addicts, you know, smokers, uh, you know, don't have, you know, really any resources in their name. And here they are running the New York City Marathon at, you know, most of them are in their 40s. And I'm sitting there going like, I'm an incredibly privileged, somewhat young, uh, you know, athletic -y type of guy. And I've always made up the excuse that I could never run the marathon because I've got bad knees and I don't have enough time to do it. Yeah. You, you were like years, me. You put yourself to it. You can, you can do it. You go out and watch the marathon. There are, there are double amputees running. There are blind people running. You know, there's old people running. There's fat people running there. You know, there's every type of person is running the marathon and it makes you be like, I can, you realize you're like, if these people can do it, I can do it too. And it's purely a mental game. It's mental and a commitment, right? You yeah. just have to have the discipline to follow a regime, get up, you know, five days a week, run before work, after work, run in the rain. Your, your social life takes a massive hit. Uh, but again, it all comes down to prioritization. And, and whatever you want to do in life, if you prioritize it higher above sitting down and watching Game of Thrones or, you know, going out and trying this yeah. new restaurant or going to have beers with your friends or you can make the time. To there, do there are no excuses. Right. You just have to choose what is more important. And it's fine if you decide that going and eating at, you know, all the new restaurants that open up is more important to you, then you just have to OK with that. Right. And I think it's finding 
contentment with yourself and, and being easy on yourself to say, this is the thing that I'm, I'm, I enjoy and this is why I'm going to do it. Um, so, wow. Well, so that's how you prepared for the marathon. How do you prepare to go on the shark tank? And I, by the way, I don't think you're a minnow. So how did you prepare for that? Yeah. I mean, similar. I mean, I'd be freaking out, man. Was that like a, you stand like at a buffet line, wait your turn or how'd this go down? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it, it, it it became, when they reached out to us, you know, they saw our Indiegogo campaign. Um, they saw, you know, that it was relatively successful. They asked us to come on and, and, you know, cast for the show. Um, we didn't really take it that seriously early on. We're like, I'm that what thousands of people are interviewing for this thing. Um, but every step of the way we got closer and closer, we started again, you know, making it a much larger priority. We were spending two to three hours a day, you know, going, watching old episodes, identifying the questions that are most commonly asked, identifying the answers that are most well received. We kind of built this spreadsheet of, I think 350 questions who the sharks were that typically asked them, what the responses that were. And we kind of rehearsed all of these things kind of rapid fire, almost like training. For it was yours to lose. Spent, yeah, we spent through, we said the one thing that we will not do is go on top and look like idiots. So we knew that as long as we were prepared, we knew that we weren't necessarily going to get a deal. But as long as we knew that we had an answer for every single question that they were going to ask, we knew that we would come off looking, you know, okay. Wow. So tell me the, the sharks, were they, were they warm? Were they fuzzy? Did you have any interaction with them? And do you think that, uh, b- besides Damon Jane's, anybody else would have been interested in investing? Um, yeah, you know, you, you don't actually get to meet them before. So you kind of walk in purely blind. Um, you know, it's, uh, your, your heart is pumping, your adrenaline is racing. Um, you know, we were in there for an hour and a half, uh, and it kind of boiled down to 13 minutes, I think, of actual uh, airtime. An um, hour and a and half. And when you realize, yeah, and what you crazy. realize is actually they, you know, they don't go for the throat immediately, right? They, they, hey, tell us about the brand. How do you guys know each other? You know, they, they try to warm you up, uh, and then you know the momentum starts to build, and then they start to figure out, okay. What's the angle that they're going to go on to make interesting television? Is it going to be valuation? Is it going to be quality of your product? Is it going to be product market fit? Is it going to be, you know, your strategy going forward and your team and all the rest of it? And then they, you know, they, they sink their teeth, quote unquote, into one topic. And for us, it was valuation. And so we, that was what we ultimately ended up going back and forth on. Um, you know, but, but again, you realize, I, I think for anybody who has the opportunity to go on the show, uh, you have to realize that it's first and foremost, it's a television show. So you can't take anything that they say personally, um, you know, and, and the more defensive you get and, and, and not try to have as much fun as possible. I mean, Mr. Wonderful called us a sock cockroach. <laughs> sock cockroach. Um, really? And we, oh. we, we laughed. I mean, we, uh, you know, Randy and I sat there and we laughed. Uh, we were like, this is, that's a really funny comment. But, you know, if we were like, you're a jerk, how dare you? Obviously, it's going to make us look bad on television because we're getting defensive. But as long as you go in and have fun with it and realize that, you know, they're there to make television. So the more and more that you can kind of play into some of these angles and, and, you know, you know, make good TV, it's going to end up being all right. It sounds like you got a great business partner that that walked in with you and said, all right, deep breaths. We're going to do this together. Yeah. Yeah, so tell sure. me about your Bombas affiliate. So tell us about the corporate gifting program. Um, yeah, so corporate gifting kind of came out of uh, a trend that we started to see where, you know, we obviously had customers, um, you know, 
a lot of customers and you know some of these customers are reaching out and saying hey you know I, I love the mission and i love the product and you know i'd love to you know buy 50 100 200 for my employees uh for christmas time or for a company retreat um and yeah we started handling them as one-offs and yeah you know ha- you know here's a 25 percent or 30 percent discount and you know just go on and order whatever you want um but as the company started to grow we started to get more and more kind of larger inquiries. Um, so we've, you know, we, we're just about to uh, ship, I think, something like thirty to 50,000 pairs to LinkedIn. Um, you know, we've 30, sold socks 000. to Microsoft. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, we sell socks to a lot of hospitals who want to give them to their nurses and doctors and patients. Um, you know, it's kind of, it, it, you know, our alumni or, you know, uh, schools like Babson buys, you know, 3,000 pairs every year to give to new incoming uh, freshmen uh, as kind of a marker of, look, this is what our school, you know, can, can help you create. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, it's just kind of started to snowball. And so now we have uh, a team of three dedicated to, you know, working with clients closely, helping them design custom belly bands and, you know, in certain instances, custom socks or really only for kind of the larger, uh, you know, big corporate clients like the LinkedIn's of the world. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really, you know, fun and, and awesome program. And I think the best thing about it for us is that, you know, it's almost like free customer acquisition, right? Yeah, There's a right. company that's paying us to buy our product and then giving free one marketing. pair to each of their employees. And, yeah. and I, I might be a little biased, but from what I know over the few years, you can't only have one pair of Bombas. Uh, you know, once you get one in your sock drawer, it automatically becomes the sock that you ultimately go to every time you do the wash. Uh, and then inevitably you're like, I can't not wear these every day so people ultimately come back and buy you know seven eight nine ten pairs wow so was there a was there one moment in your personal life that when you heard of a celebrity wearing your socks that you went wow like i made it or wow i were you shocked has that happened yet yeah i mean it's how honestly even to this day whenever i hear you know, that happened. I mean, because that's unbelievable. Uh, you know, that, it, meanwhile, this came is, out of your head into somebody, you know, now someone's wearing it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, and, and we hear kind of through, because we do a lot of celebrity gifting and, and we, we have personal trainers and assistants reaching out to us all the time. And, uh, you know, to hear that Will Smith, that these are his favorite socks and Justin Timberlake and Zac Efron and, um yeah, it's just kind of the list. Go, you know, a lot of the Kardashians wear our product. It's 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 pretty incredible. I mean, you got to admit that you know, like you're you've officially made it to the Sock Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, I mean, I also try not to put too much stock in that as well. I mean, they're people just like anybody else. Um, you know, and and I'm equally uh, proud of you know the uh, you know the single mother in Idaho who you know. Uh, treats herself to our product and, and wears our product proudly as I am any celebrity. Um, you know, the, it, it's fun, obviously, to, to think that, wow, this person that I see on the movie screen uh, it goes home and puts on our product. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's, it's only one person. Uh, and and it really kind of all of our success to date is, is the collective, uh, you know, uh, effort of every single customer who decides to spend their hard-earned money uh, with us to support not only the growth of our company, but the growth of our mission. Yeah. Um, and, so. and for for you, much like me, to have something to look forward to in life, to look forward to getting up in the morning of, oh, I'm going to put on my favorite socks. 
That's something that people yeah. actually get excited about. And I go, isn't that beautiful that you're able to take something that for the most part, and by the way, we're going to get to the, why are there so many single socks left in, in drawers around the world? But why, like, you're making somebody smile. The moment they open the door, yeah. oh, it feels good. I'm going to put these on. I never thought that that would be uh, my life's work, but it, it, you're going to be nice known for that. By the way, everybody. you're in the you're in with socks and yeah. underwear. That's your drawer. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, s- single socks is this just a global epidemic in your eyes? Like, why are there so many singles? Shouldn't they be in a pair? Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of mysteries around uh, you know how socks go missing, and you know, I think because we do all of our customer service in house, uh, we have a customer happiness team. Uh, we hear a lot of these reasons, and and you know, people uh, end up figuring them out. Either dogs steal them, kids steal them, uh, they cling to the inside of the washing machine, they fall out of the hamper on the way, um, and and it's actually led us to kind of have a lot of fun with our, uh, what we have, we have something called a hundred percent happiness guarantee. Uh, we've, we've kind of adapted that and expanded it over the years where, you know, we, we run this program called the laundry back guarantee, where if you lose uh, a pair, you know, a sock uh, in the laundry, reach out to our customer service and we'll replace it for you. <laughs> you give uh, us, you we, supply a sock uh, to the minions of single socks around the world. Exactly. We have the doggy damage guarantee. <laughs> if you, you know, send us a picture of a dog that is chewed up one of your socks, we will send it uh, right back. We've got the kid proof guarantee. The we know kid kids proof. are hard on their socks. They sure are. So How'd you know? I got two of them. Or they outgrow them or, you know, kids lose socks all the time. You know, we understand that, that we feel that pain. We empathize with the customer. So reach out to us and we'll send you a new pair. Yeah. So we had an idea for an app update for you guys. Perhaps the Bombas find a mate for your single socks. Uh, because we, <laughs> we all know that one like sock. Bumble, yeah. Like Bumble or Tinder for socks. Like that. Like it's find a mate for your sock. Like, do you have a sock that needs to meet another sock around the world? Take a picture of it, upload. And there might be a pair, you know, as, okay. as I believe, okay. as we all know, one sock deserves another. Socks are made to be in a dedicated relationship. Pairs forever. That's right. Or as Bogart yeah. said to Bergman, we'll always have pairs. For, Met, for right. the millennials, I love it. that's Casablanca. Last question yeah. for you. Uh, toughest yeah. person you know. Who, who either got you here or didn't let you quit or that you know I, I'm being held accountable by? Who's the toughest person in David Heath's life? Honestly, it's just going to sound like probably somewhat of a campy or cheesy answer. I, I think it's me. Um, <laughs> I love it. You know, when I, I recently did a values framework and, uh, you know, determination and discipline were, were two that I uh, that I highlighted. And, you know, it's, again, it kind of goes back to the whole marathon thing. I, I didn't do it because somebody else told me to do it or wanted me to do it. Um, and I certainly didn't get up at five thirty in the morning to go run in the rain because, you know, I was trying to prove myself to somebody else. Um, you know, I'm always trying to prove myself to myself. That's um, right there. By holding myself yep. to my own benchmarks, I'm constantly setting a higher and higher benchmark for myself and always trying to improve, uh, and be a better person. Um, you know, and it kind of goes back to our motto, um, you know, which we, which we started from day one, you know, kind of plays in the whole B theme, but our, our kind of version of just do it is be better. Um, and it's spelled B E E, uh, and then better. Uh, and, and it's just, we knit it on the inside of all of our socks and inside our t-shirts, we print it 
And it's just this gentle reminder every single day that, you know, you can strive to be a better person and whatever it is that you do, it's your athletic pursuits, your, you know, charitable pursuits. You want to be a better husband or better father, or better, you know, parent, a better friend, a better coworker, uh, whatever it is, you have room to improve and be better uh, as long as you are holding yourself to a, a higher standard. Wow. Well said. Well, those are great words to send you off. David, we thank you from myself, from the entire Lifestuff community. Uh, we're in 40 countries around the world. Life's tough, but David Heath is tougher. Thanks again, David. Thanks, Dustin. You already know life is tough, and running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. That's cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. To learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks again to David Heath for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant and fastest growing shows around. Also, a special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough chief writer and my Sherpa. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. Each time I hear someone's personal account, I do not frame it as something that was more horrible than my own story, or something that was not as bad as what I went through. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. To the person who lived it, that story can seem just as devastating as any other. I ask you to use your story to give others hope. It's quite liberating to move beyond your past. Don't keep your story to yourself and allow it to eat away at you. Instead, consider how your experience, like David's, can benefit somebody else. Your story may be just what it takes to help someone in your circle or in our community to get through a tipping point moment, an instance when that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or when that person finds the strength to transcend their situation. Please subscribe to our show, visit lifestuff.com, and be sure to join us every week, same time, same place, for a stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Remember, everyone has a story. Life's tough, you can be tougher. Also, if you think you have the right stuff to be a podcaster on our expanding Life's Tough podcast network, send an email with your ideas to info at lifestuff.com. That's I-N-F-O at L-I-F-E-S-T-O-U-G-H.com. Everyone has a story. The question is, does your story belong on a podcast? So for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Planelt signing off. Remember, Life's Tough, but David Heath is tougher. Thanks for joining us.